0: I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And we're giving you... A
1: Million Murders!
0: Hello. Hello. Well, I hope everybody is having a great weekend. Yes, have a good weekend. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yes. well we're back with part two
1: yes betty
0: betty 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 this
1: has been so sad it's tragic
0: i know it really is sad so i'm just gonna go ahead and pick up where we left off and the last thing that we had covered was the letter that she had wrote um talking about she was consumed with burning emptiness and loneliness and it had taken over her body and soul and mm-hmm. she needed to fight and stuff like that. Um, so two days later on March 22nd, 1961, the Odessa police department received a frantic phone call from Mary Williams who reported that her daughter was missing. One by one, Betty's friends were called into the principal's office where they were asked to tell what they know. Ike Nail, a popular jur- junior who had taken Betty home from rehearsal the previous evening, recounted a story that interested investigators. When he had dropped Betty off at 10 o'clock, he said she had suggested that he return in half an hour and meet her in the alley behind her house. As promised, at 10.30, Betty had snuck out the back door and slipped into the car. The two teenagers had parked in the alley for a while, but they had been startled to see headlights coming toward them. Betty immediately recognized the approaching car as Max'. Oh my God, I didn't think he'd come, she had explained. Ike had been certain Betty was only joking when she had remarked earlier in the evening that Mac had promised to kill her, so certain that he did not try to stop her when she climbed into Mac's Jeep. As she turned to go, she said, Ike, I've got to call his bluff, even if he kills me.
1: What? No.
0: Odessa Police Youth Officer Bobby McAlpine sat Mac down to answer a few questions. The football player told a plausible enough story. He had dropped Betty off outside her parents' house at midnight and had not seen her since. But inconsistencies in his account led McAlpine to believe that the 17-year-old knew more than he was letting on. Had he left Betty at the front door or the back, McAlpine inquired. The front door, Mac answered, and no, he hadn't waited to see that she would gotten inside safely. His answer struck. McAlpine as peculiar. The officer knew that Betty had been dressed for bed when she had slipped out of the house that night. According to Ike, she had been wearing only pale pink shorty pajamas and a blue and white striped duster, not the kind of clothes a boy would leave a girl standing in on her front porch at midnight. Hmm. McAlpine also felt that Betty would not have wanted to sneak back into the house through the front door. Mac was brought down to the police station for further questioning, and 45 minutes later, he broke down. Betty had begged him to kill her, he told McAlpine. All he had done was carry out her wishes. He claimed to have committed the crime with a 12-gauge shotgun that Betty herself had picked out. Mac led officers to his father's hunting lease, 26 miles northwest of town, on a lonely piece of scrubland studded with jump jacks, I don't know what that is. Mm. They were <laughs>
1: not sure at all. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Betty, they... no. Mac led officers to his father's hunting lease, 26 miles northwest of town, on a lonely piece of scrubland studded with pump jacks. They turned off the highway onto a winding dirt road and continued on until Mac directed them to stop. He showed them where his and Betty's footprints, his large, her small, led down a steep incline to a stock tank. Trigger warning. Beside the water, the ground was spattered with blood. In a flat monotone, Mac told investigators that he had shot Betty next to the stock tank, weighted her down, and submerged her body. Unsure of the exact location of the body in the tank, Officer asked... Mac if he would retrieve it. He stripped off his red and white varsity letter jacket, sports shirt, loafers, blue jeans, and socks and waded into the water until it came to his chest. The assembled group of lawnmen fell silent. When he reached the center, Mac oriented himself by looking at the mesquite trees on either side. Then he dove under the water and came back up. He began wading back toward land dragging an object that appeared to be very heavy when he was near the water's edge odessa police detective fred johnson could see that he was holding a pair of human feet Mm. johnson advised him to leave the body which was still clad Mm c-l-a-d which was still clad in pale pink pajamas in the water around betty's waist were tied two lead weights she had been partially decapitated by a single shotgun blast to the head. Hmm. It didn't move him when he pulled her body out of the water or when he said he'd put a shotgun to her head. Remember, his retired highway patrolman E.C. Locklear. It was, a, it was as cold-blooded and premeditated as it could be. What pushed him to do it, none of us knew. Later on, when I put him in the squad car to take him to jail, I said... Mac, didn't you expect to get caught? And he said, not this quick. He showed no emotion or regret or fear. It Ugh. was like he was talking about shooting a dog.
1: Good Lord.
0: Investigator, <laughs> I said that's so hard. Good Lord. But what the, the heck? Ugh.
1: <laughs> I'm just so annoyed, man. I'm annoyed. I'm really annoyed about all of this. Like, come but- on now. I know. Oh, Betty needed help. No one gave it to her. No one cared. And then somebody finally just did what she wanted them to do and then did not care. Mm -mm. You dog. Anyway. Woof. (laughs) (laughs) Woof-woof. Like disrespectful.
0: Investigators called for an ambulance.
1: (laughs) Ambulance.
0: Investigators called for an ambulance to be sent to the scene without sounding its siren, but reporters were not far behind. Before Mac was taken to jail, he recounted what had taken place the night before, while newsmen from the Odessa American and the Fort Worth Star Telegram took down his story, and six photographers jockeyed for the best angle. On the, dri- on the drive out to the hunting lease, she was cheerful and chatted about how happy she was going to be when she was dead. Mac explained. Mm. He had parked his Jeep a short distance from the stock tank, and he and Betty had sat there for a while and talked. She was happy, he recalled. She kept saying what it was going to be like in heaven. Then they had walked down to the pond together, shivering. Betty had, a, Betty had hurried back to the Jeep to retrieve her duster. When she returned to the spot where Mac was waiting for her by the water, she took off her shoes. I just stood there with the gun, Mac told reporters. I said, give me a kiss to remember you by. She gave me a kiss and then said, thank you, Mac. I will always remember you for that. Then she said, now. I raised the gun barrel up and she took a hold of it with the back of her hand and held it up to her temple. Then I pulled the trigger. She was dead like that. He snapped his fingers for emphasis. Hmm. As word spread around Odessa that afternoon that Mac had been arrested for Betty's murder, the news was greeted with incred- incredulity? Incredulous? Incredulity? Oh. Yeah. Is that, is that a word? Mm-hmm. I guess. The news was greeted with incredulity. I just can't believe it. Not Mac, a 16-year-old girl shrieked as she collapsed in tears against a wall on the police station. We were shocked that one of her own... We were shocked that one of our own, a popular football player who had been to our parties and had dated our friends, had committed a heinous crime, says Jean Smith and as more information came out, we were shocked to learn that Mac and a lot of the other boys we knew had been spending time with Betty after they had taken their girlfriends home. but despite the gruesomeness of the crime and the first-degree murder charges that were filed against him, Mac was not ostracized by his peers. Mm. He was still invited to parties at Carol McCutcheon's house and was welcomed at Tommy's drive-in. Girls visited him at home and boasted of knowing him. Uh. Rather than seeing Mac as a killer, many classmates acted as if something tragic that was beyond his control had befallen him. We were all supportive because we couldn't believe it, says a former tri girl who asked not to be identified.
1: Yeah, I bet you didn't. See, don't get me... What about Betty? Y'all aren't upset about Betty's death.
0: Oh, but Mac, you know, he had to do it. No, he didn't have to do anything anyway. Mm-mm. We figure that if Mac did it, then there had no, there had to be a good reason. No. There, that's Just crazy. because
1: someone asks you to do something like that doesn't mean that you should go through with it.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Like she needed help. She was severely depressed. Anyway, it's, it's not fine.
0: Nope. After with,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm pressed about it all.
0: After the arrest, the gossip centered less on Mac than it did on Betty. She was seen as a slut and a diabolical manipulator, says Shelton Williams. That's the cousin. Mm-hmm. My father overheard a customer at his car wash say, everyone knew that girl was no good. She tricked that boy into killing her. Betty's, I know you lying. Okay. Betty's mm-hmm. classmates in Winterset, which was canceled after the news of Mac's arrest puzzled over her intentions on the last night of her life. Had she really wanted to die, or was she still hoping somehow to win Mac back? I think Betty trapped herself in a real-life drama of her own making, says Dixon Bowles. She was ad-libbing all the way, and it, it spun out of her control. I remember a teacher taking me aside afterward and asking me, was Betty pregnant, and I said no. I wish it were that simple. It was a game of chicken, and she never backed out. Oh. March 20th, 1961. I want everyone to know that what I'm about to do in no way implicates anyone else. I say this to make sure that no blame falls on anyone other than myself. I have depressing problems that concern, for the most part, myself. I'm waging a war with myself, a war to find the true me, and and I fear that I'm losing the battle. So rather than admit defeat... I'm going to beat a quick retreat into the no man's land of death. As I have only the will and not the fortitude necessary, a friend of mine, seeing how great is my torment, has graciously consented to look after after the details. His name is Mac Herring, and I pray that he will not have to suffer for what he is doing for my sake. I take upon myself all blame, for there it lies on me alone, Betty Williams. Ugh. A guilty verdict seemed to be an all but foregone conclusion. Max's own confession painted a picture of a methodically planned murder before driving Betty half an hour out of town and shooting her point blank in the head. He had, by his own admission, procured lead weights, rope, shotgun shells, and even a miner's helmet to light his way so he could submerge her body in the stock tank. In the presence of Lawman, he had shown little emotion for his victim. While in custody, Mack reportedly told a deputy sheriff, I feel towards her like a cat lying in a muddy street in the rain. The disrespect. It's so
1: disrespectful. Like, I don't know. He's just the most ratchet person Mm -hmm. in the world.
0: Well, it looked to most people like a case that was impossible for the defendant to win says writer larry king who had left midland a decade earlier but still followed the case i mean the defendant had admitted he kissed the girl then blew her away wetted her body and buried her in buried her and buried it in the pond what else did the state need so king was confounded when his good friend warren burnett an odessa defense attorney decided to take the case I asked Burnett why, and he said, "Church ain't over till they sing." I said, ooh, "Ooh." Oh, okay. At thirty-four, Burnett was already considered one of the finest trial lawyers around, having earned the sobriquet, "The Boy Wonder of the West," an ex-marine who, at the age of twenty-five, had been the youngest prosecutor in Texas. Burnett always brought a sense of theater to the courtroom. In his melodious baritone, he peppered his arguments with Shakespeare and scripture and won over jurors with his down-home charisma, so much so that no jury had ever sent a client of his to prison. In the kiss and kill case, he hatched a plan that he hoped would prevent Mac from ever standing trial for murder, using a defense strategy that had never, to anyone's recollection, been and used before. Under Texas law, if jurors found a defendant temporarily insane, that is, insane only when he committed the crime, he would walk free. Citing his statute, Burnett argued before District Court Judge G.C. Olson that before any trial was to take place, jurors should first have to evaluate Max's sanity at the time he pulled the trigger. If they determined that he had been temporarily insane, he should not have to stand trial for murder. Burnett's line of reasoning flouted legal precedent sanity hearings are supposed to take up only the narrow question of whether a defendant is competent to stand trial but to the astonishment of courthouse observers and over the strenuous objections of the prosecution judge olson granted Burnett's motion for the pre-trial hearing Jurors would not determine Mac's guilt or innocence. They would only render a decision as to whether he had been insane at the time of the crime. Mac, in Mac, in effect, would have a chance at acquittal before his murder trial had ever had ever begun. Uh When flumixed, f l u m m o x e d, flumixed. When Flemmix prosecutors requested a 24-hour delay to prepare their case. Burnett expressed his surprise, since insanity is the only possible explana- explanation for this tragedy. Because the murder had occurred just across the Ector County line, the hearing took place in Kermit an Oil Patch Town, 45 miles west of Odessa. Where the smell of petroleum hung in the air. Ugh. I know Ugh.
1: That don't sound good to me.
0: The jury pool was the largest that had ever been called in Winkler County, the last murder to get much attention, as stabbing at a hotel in Wink had happened in nineteen forty seven. Teenagers filled many of the one hundred and sixty seats in Judge Olson's courtroom, at times spilling over into the aisle and out the door. It was a carnival," says former Winkler County Clerk Virginia Healy. The defendant was a good-looking boy, and all these clean-cut girls came out from Odessa to ooh and all over him, nicknamed Max's girls.
1: Ooh, they made up.
0: They made up only a fraction of the spectators whose sympathies were with the defendant. Betty's parents, lost in their grief, were her only visible supporters. Her father occasionally leaned forward so as not to miss a word of testimony, dabbing at his eyes with a white handkerchief. Max sat behind the defense table in the dark suit. In a dark suit, his head often bowed. The stain, the strain of the proceedings sometimes showed, as when he laid his head in his hands during jury selection. Otherwise, he was impassive. Arguing for the state was 32-year-old District Attorney Dan Sullivan. An earnest, if not particularly seasoned, lawyer who was out of his depth in his sixteen in his sixteen months in office, he had prosecuted mostly oil field theft cases and DWIs.
1: Oh shoot! Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hasn't. Yeah, he's he's a spring chicken, as we would say. Right.
0: <laughs> it was Burnett, with the sleeves of his suit jacket pushed up to his elbows, who commanded the courtroom. Because the burden of proof fell on Burnett to prove that Mac was insane when he pulled the trigger, the hearing began not with witnesses for the state, but for the defense. The first person Burnett called to the stand was Mac's father, O. H. Herring, who told the jury that on the day of his son's arrest, Mac had handed him a letter Betty had written. The letter, which the Texas Department of Public Safety had authenticated, in which Mr. Herring read to the jury, held that Betty alone was to blame for her death. You might say she has become a witness for the defense, Burnett equipped. Nine character witnesses, including Odessa High's head football coach Lacey Turner, spoke on Mac's behalf. Many of them concerned that Mac must have been temporarily insane at the time of the crime. Three classmates testified that Betty had also asked them to kill her, but The most compelling testimony came from Marmon Grice, an Odessa psychiatrist who had examined Mac three days after the murder. The former football player had been dethroned of his reasoning by Betty's pleadings, Grice said, and in his estimation, had been temporarily insane when he put the shotgun to her head. He became so mixed up and so sick that he felt pulling the trigger was what he should do for her, Grice testified. He was deprived of the power of applying logic. However, the effects of this gross stress reaction were temporary. He can be trusted to lead a normal life, Grice assured the jury.
1: Hmm, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, if somebody asks me to kill them a couple of times... I'm gonna keep saying no, and I'm probably gonna get away from that person. Yeah, because it's too. freaking me out. Like I'm not going to be like, no. Like, oh, okay, fine. Like I'm never gonna just kill somebody. Some
0: people just have it in their.
1: Yeah, and he's all nonchalant. Like after a while, I would feel if he was insane, and then he's okay now. Wouldn't he be feeling this like horrible guilt that he went yeah, through this? He just chilling. Anyway.
0: Sullivan put on, the, put on the best case he could, given the extraordinary limitations he was working with. Judge Olson had denied his motion to have Mac evaluated by a psychiatrist for the state, having agreed with Burnett that the defendant's current state of mind was irrelevant. Sullivan tried to establish jealousy as a motive by calling to the stand Bill Rose, the popular football player whom Betty had parked with when she was dating Mac but Bill testified that he had spurned Betty's advances when they had parked in a secluded spot. Besides, Bill maintained the incident had not had much of an effect on Mac. We talked a while and agreed our friendship was more valuable than an argument about her, Bill testified. We shook hands and forgot the whole thing. Sullivan pushed on, focusing on classmate Howard Stellar's comment that Betty's dramatic note attempting to exonerate Mac had been conceived in a joking atmosphere but the district attorney but the but the district attorney could not establish a motive the entire proceeding was a the entire proceeding was a Perversion of the law, says Sullivan, who is still a practicing lawyer in the nearby town of Andrews. The jury never heard the indictment read or learned how the crime was committed. None of the facts of the case came out. Moments after Sullivan arrested his case, Burnett rose from his seat and and thundered across the crowded courtroom. Stand up, Mack Herring. Go around and take the witness's chair. It appeared that Burnett was calling his client to the stand for rebuttal, but no sooner had Mac been sworn in than Burnett, for further dramatic effect, roared. Pass the witness. Answer the questions they have for you, lad. If he had hoped to throw the prosecution off balance, he had succeeded, though Sullivan tried to make the most of the opportunity. In his cross-examination, the district attorney pressed Mac to explain at what moment exactly he had decided to kill Betty. I don't know, Max stammered. I can't remember. I can't explain. He had difficulty understanding it all himself. He told the jury in a halting voice, I have stayed awake at night trying to think so I could explain it to other people, he said. Sometimes now I think it was a dream. Sometimes I think it was real. Sometimes I think I'm watching someone else. And as he sat in the witness's chair, he... Why do I keep saying witnesses? <clears throat> as he sat in the witness chair, he appeared solemn and, contr- and contrite. Mm-hmm. Though other classmates had believed that Betty was joking when she had asked them to kill her. Mac maintained that her pleas had had a profound effect on him. Betty had talked about a heaven a lot, he said. And had made it appear like a place you could reach out and touch. He explained that one night he explained that on the night he killed her, he had believed he was doing the right thing. In retrospect, he told the jury, "I know that everything about it was wrong." After eleven hours of deliberation during which jurors asked that Gross's expert testimony be read back to them, they determined that Mac had, in fact, been temporarily insane on the night of the murder. Upon hearing the verdict, Max slumped in his chair and wept. While friends and classmates rushed to his side to embrace him, Betty's parents slipped through the exuberant crowd out of the courtroom before reporters could reach them for comment. While Burnett had been careful not to malign,
1: your fingers covering it. Yeah, malign.
0: While Burnett had been careful not to malign Betty's character during the hearing, some details of the case, like her sneaking out of her house in her nightclothes to meet Ike Nail, had teared her as a loose, immoral girl. I overheard a juror talking about Betty, says Hazel Locklear, the wife of the highway patrolman who had been struck by Max's aloofness of the crime scene. Or at the crime scene. I remember her saying, in a very ugly way, that girl was nothing. To some observers, it seemed as if Betty's transgressions had eclipsed those of the teenager who, who'd kill her.
1: What on earth?
0: Mm. Nobody's talked about how Matt could have said no, observes Sandra Schofield, who graduated from Odessa High a year before the murder. Betty had enlisted in him, this worthy young man to do what she didn't have the courage to do herself. She had roped him into doing it, so she became not the victim, but the villain. Sullivan applauded the verdict of the Texas Supreme Court on the grounds that Judge Olsen did not have the authority to grant a hearing that only evaluated Max Sanity at the time of the crime. On June 27, 1962, the court sided with Sullivan vacating vacating the judgment and ordering a new trial. But what advantage he gained in being allowed to present his evidence was negated by Burnett's skill in showmanship. Because of the intense publicity, the second trial was moved nearly 600 miles away to Beaumont. Burnett relied on his old playbook. He put Grice back on the stand and packed the courtroom with teammates, teachers, parents, community leaders who took the stand to extol his client's virtues. Mac had been a stellar student, one of his teachers told the jury and added, I've never known a more brilliant mind. His football coach testified that Mac had never used profanity. Howard Sellers said that Mac was his idol and pers- personified,
1: mm-hmm.
0: personified everything that was good. In an impassioned closing argument that Burnett delivered before a standing room only crowd, he hammered home the fact that nearly two years after Betty's murder, the prosecution had still not established a motive. Does the evidence show you any possible explanation? He challenged the jury. Until some evidence is brought to show the psychiatrists were wrong until some evidence is brought to show the psychiatrics were wrong, I'd be inclined to believe them. Jurors agreed and twelve days before Christmas they found Mac not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. A smattering of applause broke out in the courtroom when the verdict was announced, and once again Mac was mobbed by jubilant supporters. A few glad observers, including the wife of a Baptist minister who sat on the jury, looked at, looked on with tears in their eyes. Mac, who had once word aloud to a reporter that he would be sent to the electric chair, was a free man. This letter says, to whom it may concern. The time has come to leave, and as I prepare to go, I find it difficult to write the words that will explain. I love you, Dick, for all that you have meant to me. You've been the greatest friend I could ever ask for. Here's to all the stories we've ever wrote. Maybe it's better the way... Maybe... Deidre. Here's to all the stories we never wrote. Maybe it's better that way. They'll never be exposed to the critics or the public. I hope our story about Jerry makes it. Think of me once in a while and know that I'm glad we met. Gail, I'm sorry about Indiana, but I hope you'll understand. Here's hoping you'll always have the best because you're, the, you're one of the best. I find the tears cloud in my eyes as I say goodbye to those I love. May they forgive. May they forgive me. Mr. Herring, you're a wonderful man. So many times I've wanted to tell you. How much I appreciate you. I'm sorry I have to tell you like this. Memories, so many memories to come back and cloud my mind. Memories that I'll carry through all eternity. Anyone who had suffered the unrel- unrelenting scrutiny the, that Mac had, the Odessa American alone ran nearly two dozen front page stories on the case, might have pulled up stakes and started a new life somewhere else. But Mac chose to stay. After attending Texas Tech University, where he was once introduced to a class as the famous Mac Herring, he returned home to the town that never turned its back on him. He made a quiet life for himself, and he steered clear of trouble with the law. He married and divorced twice. He worked as a dock foreman in a chemical company, a carpenter, a welder, and for at least the past 25 years as an electrician. Few of his former classmates still see him. Most have moved away or fallen out of touch. As the booms and busts of the oil patch have brought new people to Odessa and taken others away, Mac has faded into the background. I caught sight of him one afternoon in November as he pulled up to his house, a mint green frame house not far from where he grew up. His own neighborhood lacks the gracious lawns And spreading trees of his childhood. The house, which is a bit down at the hills, looks like the province of a man who lives alone. A meager yard of packed dirt and weeds led to the street and an old rusted pickup sat in the driveway. Mac who declined to be interviewed for this article, looked indisguisable.
1: Mm.
0: indisguisable from any other working man in Odessa. Right down to his beat up truck with the toolbox in the bed, nothing suggested that he had once been sharply handsome or held a great deal of promise at sixty two He was utterly unremarkable. This has not been a free to ri- this has not been a free ride for Mac says his childhood friend Larry Fransell. It's ruined two lives: one's dead, one's still alive, and because many people in town would prefer never to hear the words "kiss and kill again. The case still touches a nerve. I suspect most of us would rather let the thing stay in the past. One Odessa High School alumna wrote me in an email. There was already enough pain in 61. Why dredge it up again? But others refuse to forget. I don't take well to the fact that people don't think this is an important story, says Shelton Williams, who carried a photograph of his cousin in his wallet for 35 years after her murder. I don't believe that Betty ever wanted to die. In the Williams family, grandiose threats and melodramatic bids for attention had not been unique to Betty. When her father lived with my parents, he used to threaten to kill himself in the middle of the night, says Shelton. My mother would sit up with him and try to talk him out of it until he did it one, time one too many times. Then she told him to just go ahead and do it, which he didn't. When Betty said that life wasn't worth living without Mac, I understood, I understood it within the context of our family. Her murder had the verdicts that followed and stripped away any of his pre-con- preconceptions about fairness and justice. No other event in my life impacted me the way this did, he says. Everything looked different to me afterward. Betty had been murdered and everyone wanted to sweep it under the rug and make it go away. And still, after nearly half a century's worth of other tragedies, the stories of Odessa High School live on. In October, an Odessa College student named Sammy Sanchez, who was researching a paper she had to present to her speech class on the best place to spend Halloween, received permission to spend the night in the high school's auditorium. When I met Sanchez and three of her friends a few weeks later, they told me in a great detail about all the strange and unexplained things they had heard and seen. The door that had mysteriously slammed closed behind them, the eerie footsteps, the stage, of, the stage lights that had moved when they called out Betty's name. After two hours in the auditorium, Sanchez and her friends were so unnerved and so certain that they had felt Betty's presence that they decided to leave. But first, they did what they assumed any drama girl, spectral or not, would have wanted. We let Betty know she was the star, Sanchez says. We sat there in the theater seats in the dark, and we applauded for her. Huh. That was sweet. That is sweet. Sweet ending.
1: Yes. This is This is interesting, because you could say... Maybe he was insane. You know, I don't know. I guess I can't be so quick to judge yeah. to say what I would have done or not done in that situation, but I just feel very strongly that this wouldn't have happened.
0: And the way he lived out his life, like, out the spotlight, or out of the spotlight.
1: hmm Yeah, he didn't want to draw too much attention life, to himself. Like,
0: he didn't have, yeah. It makes you wonder if he... Really was insane, or if he wasn't insane and then it was just eating at him, right? So he wasn't doing much with himself, like just letting himself go, or yeah. he was insane in, the, in that moment in time and it was still eating at him. I don't know,
1: yeah, I don't know either. I mean, if you, I mean, seeing that happen, like seeing what you did to someone by shooting them in the head has to be I mean afterwards I don't know I don't know if he was still in shock during the trial but I don't know usually trials are farther away from the actual crime so I don't know I mean at that point he could have just been I mean he mentally he has to be totally different after doing that unless he's just a psychopath and I don't I don't think. He doesn't seem to sound like one to me, but also I'm not a therapist. So, you know, I don't know. We should have a therapist on here one day. We should. I know plenty of them. That was a good story though. It was. It was. I like that they, you know, hooked Betty up in the end Mm. and clapped for her in the auditorium. Gosh, I don't know. Poor Betty. She was going through a lot. You know, if anyone's having any thoughts about suicide or feeling like you can't go on anymore, you should call 988. Um, That is the new um, mental health hotline. Um, It used to be like a full long number, but then they switched it this year to 988. Um, So you can do that. Or I think you can text 747-747 and type home um, in a text message. And then that's also um, going to connect you with people at a hotline. So you can even text if you don't want to call. And those are both that's 24 nice. hour hotlines. Mm hmm.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed
1: it. I did. I did. It was so interesting. Like, I don't know. That's such an, a weird case. Yeah, I'd never heard. heard of it. i
0: neither.
1: That article was good, though.
0: Thanks. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, you can email us with questions, comments, concerns at murders at gmail.com.
1: You can go to our Instagram. I don't know what happened to my voice. You can go to our Instagram at amelianmurders to look at the people, places, things, or the pretty artwork, and <laughs> if there aren't any pictures, and you can join our Facebook group and like our page um, to find out information that you need. Um, And now that we're at the end of this episode, we wanted to let you all know that, um, you know, the struggle's been real. For those of us who've been, you know, to our dedicated listeners (laughs) that listen every week, you know, it's like, oh, it was Wednesday. Now it's Friday. Sometimes it's Tuesday. Sometimes it's
0: Sunday, Monday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday.
1: So you just never know when we're going to put these out. So we're going to try something a little different and that's going to every two weeks. So after this episode, two weeks from now, you will get a new episode. We're hoping that that will help. It's just, we
0: just have so much going on. Yes. In our personal lives. Mm -hmm. We still want to. Give y'all content. We don't want to like stop doing it because we really like doing it. We really enjoy it. So we're just gonna have to cut back a little bit for a little while till we can figure out why our life is been the way it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I but, think I think this will help us, and it doesn't mean it's gonna be forever. I mean, it could yeah. be forever if that's what just ends up working out best for us. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that you know maybe next year. Well, well, maybe next year. My music people get that. Um, I think maybe next year, you know, we can hit the ground running. This could also give us more time to get more content out mm-hmm. or ready. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we love you guys so much, and we're sorry, but you know, yeah. this is how it's got to be. <laughs> this isn't our full time job, so. No unfortunately yeah it'd be nice but yeah i'd love i'd love to just podcast the whole time but we don't charge y'all any money or anything (laughs) (laughs) and we don't have enough followers to do anything we can't be like the next karen and georgia or joey (laughs) and ellen or um ash and elena you know yeah
0: well thanks for tuning in
1: yes thank you so much and we hope you come back for a million more Bye!